0: Hello and welcome all to the Middle Earth in Mercia podcast, episode 11, Chaos in Ardacon Hello and welcome all. This is the Middle Earth in Mercia podcast and as usual I am your host Sonny. Now this episode we have something a little bit different for you, a little bit of spice, it's a bit of a story really. I know it won't be to everyone's taste and I know there may even be a few people in the community that are rather ticked off that I'm talking about it publicly bringing it up again. Uh, But I think for the majority of you this is going to be something interesting. And uh, I think we can have a good conversation about it is why I I wanted to go into it. Uh, If it's not to your taste, come back next episode. It'll be the usual uh, content, uh, tournament reviews and whatnot. But I'm aware I haven't put anything out for a little while. And I know that's not terribly unusual for me. I make no apologies about it. There's been more important things going on, unfortunately, and uh, I've just had to put my time into that. But I have found myself with a Saturday, and I thought, hmm, do I have time to uh, do a full tournament review? Which we have got a stack pending for you. Uh, Don't worry, that content will come eventually. But I thought, perhaps I don't have time for that. But there is this topic I want to talk about, and it sort of ties in to a few thoughts uh, I've been having. So I thought, yeah, why not? Let's uh, put something out there. I can see... There's still a hunger for the podcast. I can see you, my loyal listeners, are still out there listening to it uh, in surprising numbers. And yeah, I wanted to put something out to reward you. And as the title suggests, there has been controversy once again at Ardicon, the largest Middle-Earth tournament in the world, uh, once again in the singles. Now, uh, those of you who've followed Ardicon for a, a number of years will know that that's not particularly unusual at Ardicon. Um There's been various accusations over the years. I think the most notable one in recent years was that there was a big discussion about uh, slow play. But this year, I think things have maybe taken a more serious tone. Uh, the accusations are slightly less of a grey area, and there does seem to be a certain amount of anger uh, about uh, from those that were at the tournament. And... Um, yeah, really, this sort of ties into thoughts I've been having about tournaments recently because I've I've been going to more and more tournaments. Uh, I, I've attended my first GBHL 100. I know Ardcon now is GBHL 100. Uh, but uh, I, I've attended more competitive events is what I'm saying. And one thing that I have been observing and hearing secondhand from people that I attend the tournaments with is and I don't know whether this is an increasing trend or just something I'm being exposed to more through going to more competitive uh, tournaments, but is bad behaviour and particularly unsportsmanlike behaviour really centred around those who would be considered competitive or elite players? I've seen a few things, I've experienced a few things and like the things I've sort of seen, it's not really enough to come and sit down on the podcast and be like, there's this and this and this. Yeah, just I've seen a few things and then I've been chatting to people that are quite experienced and, you know, people saying, oh yeah, it's not it's not unusual at the, the big events that sometimes the TOs literally have to sit at the table with them uh, because that kind of thing can happen. Like myself, I would say that I'm trying to sort of become an intermediate player, somebody that uh, can, when they have a good day, have the opportunity to uh, win a tournament. And, you know, maybe in the future it would be an ambition to be a tournament regular and be doing well. And this is just something as part of my sort of tournament journey that has given me pause for thought. So that was sort of where my mind was when this story caught my eye. And I thought we could have a conversation about it. I think with the majority of popular games of this sort, table, Tabletop Warfare, uh, you tend to have a trickle-down economy from the tournament scene, from the competitive scene. And I think that in Middle-earth Strategy Battle Game, we are particularly vulnerable to this because of the success of the GBHL. Because of the extreme success of the GBHL, so much of the community is tied to the competitive scene. And yeah, we do have this division of GBHL 100s, 90s and 80s, but you can often see the same faces at an 80 and 90 and 100. And like hobby communities all across the world, I think we should discuss it when we see a trend that perhaps is concerning us. And I think the topic we're going to talk about today is a good example of something that's happened I think we should talk about as a community and maybe think about how this is handled in the future. And as a final note, is that if the game is to go to the next level, if the game is to get more footing, is to get more releases, which I think is what the majority of people want, is at the very least continuing support, Uh, On Games Workshop's end, they're going to need things that help advertise the game. The big events that they have throughout the year, uh, tournaments and other get-togethers are part of Games Workshop's advertising strategy. They talk about the winners, they talk about the armies, and this is something that's happened this year for Ardicon. There were several articles uh, written on Warhammer Community. Um, Winners were named, they spoke about the Masters. This is becoming sort of a, a point of advertisement for the game These big events that are going to be the most spoken about events and uh, if we're going to get more drive behind it, the competitive scene is going to form part of that. And how these players behave in their games, particularly sportsmanship as well as tactics, whether they're underhand or open, the armies they use, it is all going to have an effect in the long run on the wider community. And to those that refute that, I would point you to 40k where the behaviour of a relatively small part of that community has become incredibly prominent. And I think that's something we need to watch out for because 40k can afford to miss out on those players that are off-put by this, this opinion that many people hold, whether it's justified or not. Now, I think we've done a good job there of setting the groundwork for this conversation. So I will delay no longer. Let's move on to the story itself. Now, let's get into the story. Let's get into the accusation itself. I am talking in hypotheticals here. And you really should take anything I say that is a little definitive as if it has got an if in front of it. I'm placing that if in there now. If this happened. If this is true. I will give my opinion on the probable truth. But please remember, there is an if on all of this. But let's move on to the actual brass tacks of this story. So, Ardicon, it's Sunday. It is the final game of the singles uh, tournament uh, the big one this also forms part of the world team championships so kind of a big deal the top tables at Ardcon are held in the upper sort of balcony area that's where we are we're centered around tables one two and three players on table one find themselves in an excellent position both players at table one being extremely experienced on the UK tournament scene, are no doubt acutely aware that they need to not lose this game. If they finish the game with a draw or better, their likelihood of moving on to the championship table is incredibly high. At Ardecon when all the standard games are finished, those in positions 1 and 2 move on to a final tournament round, and this is what they're playing for. Now, what typically happens at these large tournaments is with so many players, the top five will typically have a very similar record. And it is not uncommon for in these final games for positions to be leapfrogged because ultimately, as is the outcome with most games, you have a winner and a loser. So it's fairly typical for at table one, you have players one and two, one of them loses. That person then slips down to 3 because the winner of table 2, who was in 3rd position, leapfrogs them. That is not uncommon at these tournaments. Now, as it turns out, the result of table 1 comes in. And it's a perfect draw, with both of them also having achieved their oaths. An oath at Ardicon is sort of like a secondary objective. If you achieve it, you get an extra uh, victory point. So pretty much the perfect outcome for both players they're able to gain the most amount of victory points possible while both of them advance to the championship round now this in of itself isn't terribly unusual both players must have gone into the game aware that all they needed was a draw depending on the scenario it's not impossible that the game would result in a draw with both players uh, unwilling uh, to take an overt risk to win the game, knowing that they begin the game with what they already require. However, both of them, you know, having their oaths, that maybe does raise an eyebrow. But again, not unusual. Um, not something that would be considered totally unexpected. However, this is where the story gets more complicated. The general consensus of the accusation from those I've spoken to at Ardicon and also seen uh, written on the Ardicon page in comments is that players 1 and 2 colluded, that they agreed the outcome of the game and that they allowed that to come to fruition. With common points in these accusations being that they agreed from the outset that that would be the outcome of the game Uh, that they colluded on the oaths for both of them to have them, and a common accusation being that they allowed the game to end early as it was pointless as the outcome of the game was already agreed. Obviously, if this were true, these accusations, that would be considered match-fixing and would be in direct violation of the final point of the Code of Conduct in the current rule book on page 15, which states never fix the outcome of a game for any reason i would also suggest if this were true that it would also be in violation of the two cardinal rules of the code of conduct which are always be polite and respectful to your opponent at all times at a tournament all the other players are your opponents Um, fixing the outcome of a game fixing the outcome of a game so that the table below you has no opportunity to challenge your position in the championship round, would obviously not be polite and respectful. And the other cardinal rule of always tell the truth and never never cheat, uh, I think it goes without saying that match fixing commonly in competitive circles is considered cheating. So excluding sort of being openly abusive at the table to other people in some way, probably as serious an accusation as can be made at a competitive tournament. Now, at this point, you, like I, having that level of information, although the accusations are very serious, should obviously be taken with a fair amount of scepticism. It doesn't seem impossible that both players could come to the table They could not want to take any risks and they both wind up sitting in a corner of the table for an hour and a half. And if that was all there was to the story, I I think I I would agree with that statement. I would just have to be like, well, it just sounds like the people at the lower tables were disgruntled that it wound up being a draw, but entirely understandable that that could come about. Now, I spoke to people who were at the event, and they more or less told me that the accusations were true. But I couldn't find anybody amongst my circle that had a direct line who witnessed this or who was very close to it, who was up on that balcony area and actually witnessed firsthand what went on. And if that was all I could find, I would have never brought this to the podcast. However, things took a rather public turn on the Articon Facebook page. And it's one post in particular where things kicked off, really, and a lot of the people that were directly involved uh, gave direct statements about what they felt had gone on. And it's really on that basis that I'm going to take you through what the story was there. Because and you'll have to make up your own mind on this, but I found what was written there rather compelling and quite interesting. Now, before we really delve into this, I do want to just highlight, obviously, because it's not something I've done in the past, that I am actually going to be talking uh, directly about the individuals involved in this. And the reason for that is that Without the full context of actually what was going on and that this is players one and two, it's impossible to tell the story, really. And this is such a public event. I mean, the the winner and second place were written about on Warhammer Community. The post I'm going to be taking you through on Facebook is all still up. Nobody's detagged themselves. Uh, responses are still on there. Uh, All I'd be doing, if I didn't mention the people involved, all I'd really be achieving is 30 seconds of inconvenience for somebody to find out who I'm talking about and slightly stifling the, the flow of the conversation I'm trying to have with you. That said, I do think it's important that we all respect people's right to be left alone, so please don't contact uh, any of the people that are the subject of this conversation. I think it goes without saying that it's more than reasonable for us to discuss what happened within the public community, a public place, a public tournament, and was then discussed publicly on social media. But I do feel very strongly that the only outcomes of this conversation we're having should be expanding our opinion on what we feel is considered fair play and pushing for that at the tournaments we attend and host, as well as maybe considering our own conduct and the integrity of the competitions we are a part of and how we can uphold that. Bothering any of the individuals involved in this will have no effect on any of those points. So, you know, don't be that guy. So, on to the story. So, it was a fairly innocuous post that wasn't really about this subject. It was just somebody giving a bit of a review of Ardicon. It was a international player who had attended. And as I haven't attended any of the really big tournaments this year, be it Ardcorn or otherwise, I had been sort of keeping a bit of an eye out and just seeing how people got on this year. And uh, like most of you, I had a bit of an interest in you know what lists were take, being taken, who won, what won and uh, so on. Anyway, in this post, there was just a throwaway line. So the individual is making a point about the championship round, and uh, while they're talking about that, they just sort of say, the controversy that happened this year aside. And that grabbed my attention, as I think it grabbed a lot of people's attention. And pretty quickly, it didn't take long for a comment to appear saying, what was the controversy this year? And very quickly, the accusations that we've already been through uh, started to appear. The, the three being that they agreed on the outcome of the result, they collaborated on uh, allowing each other to get the oaths, and that they ended the game early. And names were named uh, pretty rapidly because it was fairly common knowledge who was in first and second position at Ardcon, because they finished in first and second position. And that was Jake Rawson and Jasmine Tetley. And both of them are very well known amongst the the tournament scene, both tournament winners, uh, both doing very well and have done very well in the GBHL rankings previously. So if the fact that they had made it to tables 1 and 2 at Ardicon didn't tell you that, certainly not lacking any talent between them and that's definitely not something that we're questioning in this conversation. Now Jasmine's involvement in the conversation came and went very quickly. Uh, Somebody tagged Jasmine uh, directly into the conversation and Jasmine replied, uh, please don't tag me on a situation that you do not understand and then took no further part in the conversation. So we haven't obviously got Jasmine's uh, version of events. uh, So that is something that needs to be considered. However, Jake did become fairly active in the conversation and it's his conversation with a few individuals that really is what gives this the legs to have a full conversation about uh, the accusations. Now, the comment he replied to was from a chap called Luca, who is going to form quite a key part of this conversation. And Luca had written to somebody else, while drawing is acceptable, what is not acceptable at all is arranging the oaths thus fixing the results, then bragging and mocking the others for that. (laughs) And I assume this must have felt like a comment too far for Jake because he didn't reply to all the comments but he did reply to this and he replied directly to the individual uh, Luca saying not sure what you've heard but I can assure you I would not lower myself to mocking anyone in any circumstances. People are entitled to think whatever they want about the outcome of the match and the weekend but the best thing about the hobby is the relationships I've built with the people I've met over the last two years and anyone that knows me will attest." to that now the first thing there is the first point is fairly valid if you've heard this from someone else and the individual that's directly involved is telling you no that's not true you do need to hear them out but I will say this instantly because I was uh, I'm taking you through how I read the conversation how the comments are I will say that the second half of it really raised an eyebrow uh, for me Um, the whole you know think whatever you think and and then basically saying I'm a good lad I've got plenty of friends in the community Um, you know I'm not being funny Uh, I don't think Jake was perhaps thinking it out like this but that's a classic deflection tactic Um, we've all seen celebrities or whoever on the news uh, who actually has been found to do wrong and they sort of you know they deflect onto their past good conduct and good behavior um having been a decent person doesn't excuse you from the possibility of ever doing anything wrong so i think that you know i think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he perhaps wasn't being that cynical but i do think the second part of that reply is pretty terrible and doesn't really address any of the points that are uh, 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 leveled at him i I think if you're not going to answer the accusations, then you're best off probably not saying anything. However, still a really strong point of like, you know, you've just heard this from other people. And that, you know, at this point in the conversation, that needs to be heavily weighted. However, this is where things start to become a wild ride. And this takes a sharp right turn. And for me, this is where this became just a bit of bickering on the internet. To hang on, there could be more to this. So there was another comment from Luca, which I'll go into later because it becomes part of the later conversation, really. But Luca writes the following uh, post directly to Jake, which is, I haven't heard. I witnessed directly everything since I was on table two. I witnessed the ridiculous fight between a Hobbit and a Corsair, victory for the Hobbit, and how you left the table after an hour or so. I witnessed how you and Jasmine turned to Michael and me, who I assume was the opponent uh, Luca was playing, and how you joyfully explained how impossible it was then to reach the two of you, unless Michael scored a 12-0 with oath. You explained uh, us how you both had magically reached your oath and how the 3-3 was perfect for both. All of this with a self-satisfaction and mocking smile on the face. Maybe the mockery wasn't intended, but that's what transpired to me. I had a great tournament. I had the chance to see so many foreign players and friends met around Europe for the game. But what you and Jasmine did ruined the grand tournament for many of us. Most of the players upstairs were direct witnesses and complained vehemently during and after the tournament with James, Sam and the GBHL. It's a pity nobody disqualified the two of you for fixing a game, especially the oaths part. Stalemates exist and draws happened and are agreed, but giving each other the oath was really disrespectful. It was a very good chance to state that such things shouldn't happen during a tournament, which wasn't taken by any of the responsible people. Unfortunately, a meagre consolation was the warning that the GBHL gave both of you for this behaviour. But if you had been in Italy, you would have been disqualified. I'm sure that in the moment you haven't realised the gravity of the actions, and from what I hear, you're a great lad to play and hang with. Nonetheless, I believe you could have apologised afterwards. Fixing a game is clearly against the explicit rules of our game and sportsmanship. I hope you can realise that. Unfortunately, a great result as winning Ardcon is now dirtied by this. I wonder if it was really necessary. I leave the discussions about the GBHL teams and individual championship slash league to the ones participating in it. The fact that the team where you both are gained a lot from this adds on the single tournament ranking itself. On a side note if you arrange the result of a game at least don't turn around and tell everyone a little decency that could uh, have helped reduce the noise about it. I really hope this won't happen again and that if it does the responsible people will take immediate and firm actions especially in the presence of so many witnesses. Now that's quite a long and impassioned statement from Luca there and I think before we unpack that we are better uh, just reading Jake's next full statement that he makes to him uh, because I think the these are the two main statements and taken as a pair, I think we can address what we think in conclusions better with both of them. So Jake replied, I'm sorry you feel this way the fight between the Hobbit and the Corsair was a harmless encounter in an otherwise eventful game, completely unaffecting any outcome but bringing a little bit of fun to the stalemate we all love little moments of heroic feats like a Corsair dying to a Hobbit archer, so not sure why this would be noteworthy as a complaint of course I was joyous, I had just potentially reached the finale of Ardicon, to say that I should have been happy seems a little silly but if there was any misinterpretation here it was purely joy at the potential of my success not at the failure of others and i'm sure you're aware from being a player on table two oaths are an easy thing to predict based on your opponent's army neither myself nor jasmine wanted to engage in that scenario so i logically predicted that she would select one of the maneuvering oaths and i would want to do the same Therefore, I vetoed the one that I would want to go for so that we weren't competing over the same thing. This is how we were able to achieve the oaths. Not through conspiracy, but through an understanding of the game and the opponent. If we truly wanted to fix a game to lock other people out of the final round, as so many people have suggested, why wouldn't we fix it so that we both scored matching VPs to guarantee this, such as five-five? The game ended nil-nil because neither of us wanted to risk a situation that swings to a loss. Hence, why it was ended after one hour of going nowhere. I'm sorry that your we- weekend was ruined by something that supposedly happened on another table. But as I say. Everyone is entitled to feel how they want about things, hence why I'm not telling that you are wrong, I just wanted to explain the facts as I understand them. Now, sorry, there is one more comment I'm going to read uh, and then we will actually get into it. So Luca responded, I can understand your reaction was genuine. I can understand the stalemate. Regarding the oaths instead, you let each other achieve their own and that is unfortunately the fixing. I was there. I saw how you both rotated through the field by 90 degrees to conveniently reach the token and the other side of the field. Playing a game is also trying to deny the other victory points, which didn't happen at all here. You didn't need anything else than the nil-nil number of victory points is so low on tiebreakers. The rules are quite clear, but haven't been applied. After all this mess, though, I'm sure that in the future you'll be above any doubts. This should be a message to say, let's play and not scheme to win. There's no happiness if the victory is smeared. A pity again, as you could have probably won anyway. Hope to play you sooner or later too. I'll stop this. Uh, I'll stop discussing this matter further. And uh, yeah, there were no more comments from either Jake or Luca after that post. Now, there are a number of points to unpack there, and I hope you can see why I've read both in such detail. Because it's ironically only with Jake's responses that a lot of this actually starts to build the picture of what is the probable truth. If we just had Luca saying what he said and nothing from Jake, Um, this would be a lot more muddy water. But he actually confirms quite a few things, unintentionally, I think, uh, in the post he made to Luca. Now, the first thing I think we need to address before we do move on to those points that have been made and the responses we've had is the rather explosive initial statement from Luca of, no, I didn't hear from anyone. I was there. I was at table two. And that really does make Jake's initial comment look rather bad um, because he is very dismissive in that. He doesn't address any of the points or accusations that have been levelled at him. And then the fact that we've got somebody that's saying, no, I'm a witness. I was directly there and brings up so many details and then he's forced to go in and address some of those details. I, I, I don't know. It starts... To build a picture for me um, you will have to make up your own minds but the the fact that tacks are changed, that narrative changes for one of the individuals when new evidence is brought forward that sort of does add to my mind that that first comment was a deflection tactic you, as I say, will have to make up your own mind but going into it, assessing those points, that's kind of what I'm thinking now, there are some sort of surrounding uh, comments that we will get on to further on, but I think the three points that we need to sort of assess and the responses that were received that are sort of the basis of this game was fixed, um, the three of them are really the, the Hobbit fight, the Oaths, and ending the game early. So we're going to go through them. Now, the Hobbit fight, You know, with just like I said earlier, with just Lucas' comment, it it doesn't seem like there's a lot to it. But Jake confirms that happens. Um, He very, you know, that happened. That is undeniable because we've got it from both sides that a a corsair went out and for some reason just had a one-on-one fight with a hobbit. And as Jake puts it, he said it was to break up the monotony of the game. Now, I think we've all seen at lower tables or maybe GBHL 80 events, somebody suggests, come on, my thing, fight your thing, it'd be cool. Uh, you know, maybe at more theme events, that kind of thing is, is fairly common. But in a game where it's very tight, you're both trying to get to the championship round at a huge event, probably the biggest uh, Middle Earth event in the world, that seems an unusual thing to play out at that table um, without a direct agreement to be like, you know, this isn't going to get any bigger, shall that my guy fight your guy? And at best to me, in the context of the table and the event that does at best seem a little inappropriate. And I think more specifically to the conversation we're having I think we can infer that it suggests that there was at Minimum, a conversation going on between the two players about what was going on in that game. Now, as I say, this thing by itself, I don't think is damning, but it opens the door to giving credibility to other suggestions, in my opinion. And I don't think that Jake's response, again, is terribly helpful. I mean, he's got a laughing emoji when he's talking about why is it noteworthy as a complaint um you know it crosses my mind is that a deflection tactic again or does he just not see the point that uh that Luca is making that like this is how that game was being carried out and it's symptomatic of other things that were happening in there I I do think that that's something he should have addressed you know how did that come about did you know did you just walk the guy out there and some and uh then jasmine walked their person out there or did you have a direct conversation about it because one is just a funny thing that happened in the game one is really blurring the lines of what's all right in a competitive competition now moving on to the second accusation uh to do with the oaths and i think this is the most for me the most credible and serious accusation out of all of them Um, I mean Luca basically says you know you two agreed to to do your oaths together and uh, Jake's response doesn't make a lot of uh, sense to me to be honest I I, I don't see why him understanding uh, what Jasmine's oath is meant that he offered no resistance to it Um, if I was playing for a draw and i think a lot of you would concur with this if i was playing for a draw uh, for the championship round i would take no risks i would basically set myself up in a really you know if there was no way my opponent could go around the board and pick up the objectives or whatever they had to come to me i would sit in the corner in a nice position that gave me a decent kill box or or something like that and i would stay there and i would refuse stubbornly to come out um we can take from Jake and Luca's uh, uh, statements that there was a fair amount of repositioning uh, involved. Jake confirms that that it it was a it was a positional oath. Why on earth would you take the risk of going to the other side of the map and exposing your flank or putting yourself in a less favourable position that your opponent would? could possibly take advantage of unless you knew that your opponent wouldn't attack you like it's absolutely acceptable to sit in that corner and your other opponent sees what you're doing and is like well yeah I only need a draw and sits in that corner as well there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever but I find it very very hard to believe that a player like of of Jake's calibre and Jasmine's calibre would move across the map exposing themselves. We, we all know that, like how difficult it is to keep formation unless you're moving incredibly carefully and even then you're going to be moving between terrain that's not to your liking. It seems incredibly unlikely to me that that would happen without either a, a, a direct or tacit agreement, either of which is not okay and is definitely match-fixing. Like, I'm not saying Jake or Jasmine said to each other, look, if I do this, you're not going to do this, dear. It doesn't have to be that overt. We all know there are a hundred ways of communicating with each other. And it's if the draw and then the oaths went to the point that there was communication of some form. There should be no communication at all. To use a football analogy, if two teams need a nil-nil to progress, it is absolutely fine for one of those teams to just try and retain possession, not make any risks, not uh, try and expose themselves to a counter-attack or anything like that. But the moment one of the uh, managers says, I just need a draw and makes eyebrows or, or, or you know eyes at the other manager and uh, the other manager's like, I need a draw also, and makes eyes, and then they're playing suspiciously in the game, that's the point it becomes match-fixing, when there is some level of communication, a tacit or direct agreement. So, I'm sorry, yeah, for me, that is the most damning point. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. If you're... It just doesn't make any sense to me. If you're playing for a draw, why would you take a massive risk to go and get your oath, which doesn't change the outcome of the game? It literally just makes it, it just would change it from highly unlikely to damn near impossible that somebody from the table below would replace one of you. Why would you take that risk? It doesn't make any sense to me. In the context of you're playing for a draw and you're not going to try and win the game. I would go as far to say that I think Jake's explanation on that is a little insulting to expect anyone to believe that there wasn't some level of communication on that the final point is on ending the game early and yeah really for me i uh, i think this just doubles down on all the points i've just made um it's absolutely fine to be like i'm gonna sit in this corner and whatever but i mean let's just say it how it is that seems suspicious as anything that you both just got your oaths and you're ending the game early um I mean, Jake says in his reply, like, we ended the game uh, because neither of us wanted to risk a situation that swings to a loss. How did you know that, Jake? Unless Jasmine told you. How did you know that definitively Jasmine was going to not take any risks to try and beat you unless Jasmine said to you, I'm not going to take any risks to beat you, should we just end the game? Which is direct collusion. Like, if that's okay, how far are you going to take that attitude? Did the two of you just approach the table and be like, I'm happy with a draw, are you happy with a draw? You shake hands and walk away? That's, like, you know, that is just wanton disrespect for the integrity of the competition. So those really are the three main accusations and the responses that Jake gave. I think the only other real, you know, there's other points we'll talk about, but the only point... Uh, sort of uh, trying to dissuade over those three points that we haven't been through is he suggests What? why wasn't it a, a perfect draw which would have given us more victory points such as a 5-5 five, five. Um, which I think is fairly obvious it's one of two things uh, either it would have been too damn obvious to just fix it completely or there wasn't enough trust in the collusion that you'd be willing to allow your opponent to be removing your uh, your models from the table uh, at a risk of maybe they seize the opportunity and uh, take the draw away from you and go for a win. I, I think that's pretty obvious if you were thinking about how two players that perhaps don't necessarily fully trust each other would uh, would collude over a table. Then we move on to a number of supporting points, really. Uh, Lucas says that uh, him and a lot of other people complained to James, the tournament organiser, and uh, the GBHL representatives. Uh, No one has denied this. Jake didn't deny it himself. He states that uh, Jake and Jasmine were given a warning by the GBHL. Um, That also adds a lot of credibility to this. Now, there's obviously more discussion amongst those statements that I read, but I think if we're going to keep the actual core conversation tight, the ones we've been through are the ones that probably add the most as to whether this happened or not. And as I said at the beginning of the conversation, I actually think if Jake hadn't said anything, there wouldn't be a lot to go on here, but I think he inadvertently confirms a lot of it. And it does also seem fairly conclusive that they did come over and they did have conversations with people about the outcome of the game. Nothing unusual there, but the narrative that Jake is saying and the narrative that a number of others are saying as to the content of those conversations and what they took away from it does seem to be radically different. Taken in consideration with all the points we've discussed, how the conversation uh, uh, unfurled, the initial reactions to it, I, I, I fall on the side that I find it incredibly unlikely that there wasn't communication of some form to the effect of let's get our oaves and let's get out of it. I think it is very much up to everybody to draw their own conclusions of what they think happened at that table, but to me... There's more than just circumstantial evidence here. There's more than just two people walking away from a table and saying, oh, we got a draw. Isn't that good for us? Which is essentially the narrative that has been submitted by Jake. Um, There's no explanation of how uh, the Hobbit fought the Corsair without there being a direct conversation about it. There's no explanation as to why... There was no attempt to stop the other uh, scoring their secondary objective. There's no explanation of why would you take the risk of trying to score that secondary objective. And there's no explanation as to how did you know your opponent was done trying to defeat you and ended the game early without direct communication. So for me, I fall on the side of probability that I find it highly likely some level of collusion happened on that table to arrange one two or more aspects of the outcome of that game and consequently would have been a fixed result it equally sounds to me that it's highly probable that you know both of those players had played to a high degree of skill and deserved to be on that top table and it sounds like that they've let themselves down at the final hurdle Both of those players were going to have to face down in the championship round anyway, so I don't see why they couldn't have just done it then and taken their chances against whoever they got and, you know, respected the integrity of the event. As well as played in a manner that respected their fellow competitors and the fact that they had tried very hard to get into the position they had found themselves in. I mean, on other posts and Luca himself, there were quite a lot of accusations leveled towards Jasmine that this isn't necessarily the first time this has been an issue for her, and that it sounds like, based on comments, that there's perhaps a pattern of behaviour. Now, I don't think we can give too much heed to them, because they're really, like, I've been through the points Luca has made about the other things, and there's context, there's other people, there's stuff to back it up. I don't think we can put too much weight behind these wild accusations that this is a pattern of behaviour. However, it would have been incredibly easy for both of those players to be calm and collected and fix that match and nobody be aware of it. Think about it. If they had both basically said, look, you sit in that corner, you sit in that corner, in a quiet word, they'd done that. They hadn't gone blab into everybody else about what they'd done. They hadn't done the really obvious like movement around the table. They hadn't been like, let's end the game early if they had just played out the game in a convincing manner and not given each other the oaths it would have been pretty much impossible to detect and when you think about it like that you come to two conclusions either they're idiots which i find I I i find very unlikely that it is possible to be this good at the game and be a very very stupid person i find that very unlikely or they have a very high degree of arrogance over their behaviour to the point that it suggests it's not the first time that it's happened, that it's not the first occurrence. You often hear the phrase like or or, or the story about, you know, the shopkeeper that he, he's got a woman that's worked for him for, for twenty years and he catches her red handed one day uh taking take taking money out of the till. And there's a discussion later on, and he, he fires this person that's worked for him for 20 years. And the justification is, it's not the first time she stole from me, it's the first time I caught her. And that kind of feels like, you know, maybe that's the situation we're looking at here. Why wouldn't you be more subtle? Why wouldn't you be more cautious? They seem to have done a lot of things to draw attention to their actions and I think it's only the fact that it's happened at such a high profile event this is so different compared to your average GBHL 100 there are so many people going James is probably handling so much cash to actually make the event happen it's somewhat got an association with Games Workshop, they've write about it on Warhammer Community they've written up a post about the winners, the second place and, and so on, I think it's only because of all that that they seem to have been caught and then to exacerbate things, obviously one of them had to go on to win the event and Jake won the event and he is now got a perfect score on the GBHL League, he has a 400 out of 400 uh, score uh, the person in second has 395 but obviously that means they need to go away and win another GBHL 100 to even challenge him I don't know what the tie break is um, and I think this is a terrible situation for the league really um, I think it's a terrible thing for the players to have, uh, have done to for the to themselves really because uh, I agree with Luca. Um <laughs> There is forever going to be a large contingent of people that don't consider that uh, that Articon win legitimate. I don't consider it legitimate, and there will be many others that feel the same. Um, if he goes on to win the GBHL League, again, he's done most of the work over the year. I wouldn't consider that legitimate without a valid punishment being handed down. Um, and Jasmine, I feel, has also muddied her reputation if these accusations are true. Uh, as as I say, I, I fall on the side of probability that it sounds like to me that these accusations are probably true. That there is some level of truth to them. I find it unlikely that there isn't. But on that note, I'm going to stop talking about the individuals specifically. And I'm going to move on to talking about how this situation was handled what it means for the league and what I think it means for for, uh, for the community and the competitive game. So what we know transpired really at this point uh, after this is that many people complained and that the players were issued with a warning. Now, um, as Luca has pointed out, it would have been a discussion, I imagine, between the GBHL representatives and James as to what to do. James being the head honcho of Ardicon. Um, and we don't know how that conversation went. All we know is that there were many complaints and that it ended in the issuing of a uh, of a warning. So that's what we're going to talk about. We can't speculate on what happened in that conversation. But we can talk about the input and the output and what we think of that. And I think for there to be an output of any kind suggests that there was something compelling there, that the people that listened to the arguments heard something that was of concern. And because of the seriousness of the accusations, it's hard to imagine them being diluted. Collusion, like, there's no minor collusion in sporting fairness. Uh, It's all collusion. When it comes to competition, it is of the utmost importance to uphold the integrity of the competition as well as the rule set of the competition. And I think nothing undermines the integrity of competition more than match-fixing. At least with cheating, the person is like wholly operating in their self-interest and you almost have a referee at the table to keep a, an eye out for that because the opponent will be keeping an eye out. Uh, for that when you have match fixing it completely undermines the entire basis of the competition and because of that and the fact that they obviously did think that there was enough evidence to do something i can't think of any circumstance where giving a warning for this kind of behavior is the appropriate outcome i think the only punishment that is appropriate for somebody that is found to have fixed the outcome of a match and clearly broken the rules in this way is a total disqualification from the competition. With the rules enforcers then looking at the severity of the rule breaking and deciding whether it's appropriate to invite those individuals back to the competition next year or not. The thing with big competitions and I know it's all relative you know and with these big competitions they are bigger than any entrant to the competition the integrity of the competition is far more important for the attractiveness of that competition and people's desire to take part in it or be involved in it than any single person or team that takes part in it and you know is ardacon going to be deserted next year i sincerely doubt it and i really hope not it's going to take more than this to knock it off its pedestal, but I do think the integrity of the competition has been drawn into question. We have to remember that this, just, this isn't just a short jolly down the road for a large contingent of the people that come to Articon. Many of the players that attend are coming internationally, and they don't do that just on a whim. Do you think that they will continue to do that if the integrity of the competition they wish to attend is being called into question more than once. I think it can survive this. It can. But if something along these lines of the integrity of the competition being called into question a second time, could it survive that and still have the same attendance internationally? I don't know. And if it were to lose the large amount of international players that attend it, would the tournament still be as special? I don't think it would. And I think in in future years, there should perhaps be some thinking uh, on the ground, some pre-planning of, look, if this happens, this is how we're going to deal with it. I completely empathise that James puts an incredible amount of effort into organising that tournament. And if he was involved in the conversation, I could imagine how drawn I would be that my headline event is going to be just all about a controversy if I ban two players or kick them out of it. I can understand how difficult that decision would be. I could also understand from the viewpoint of the GBHL how ejecting two very popular players, very well-known players who attend a lot of events, uh, are maybe involved in organising tournaments to some degree as well, I could imagine the bad publicity that would bring for them. These are not easy decisions, and it is easy for me to sit here in front of my microphone and make it sound like they are. But I do genuinely believe that the hard truth is that sometimes it is better to have a bad day or a bad weekend so that you can reap the rewards for years to come. And in this instance... I think there has been a bit of burying something that's unpleasant and doesn't want to be dealt with. And if something similar happens in future or continues to happen, the consequences of having not dealt with it here and now could be more severe in the future. I very recently attended my first event since ARDICON and at the time of recording that was something like a month after ARDICON. And I I had people make jokes to me and I overheard other people making jokes about match fixing. There has already been an effect on people's opinion of the integrity of the league. Now, does that yet extend to people choosing to not attend tournaments? No, and I wouldn't pretend that it does. But does it extend to people perhaps thinking that winning the GBHL is worth a little bit less than it used to be, I think already you can say that's true. Whether that's 1%, 2%, 3 4%, there has been an effect when you look at the entire player pool. It's generally considered poor form for a championship to revoke an award, so I do think that the time to do the right thing has perhaps passed for Ardicon. But with the GBHL... This is an award that hasn't been awarded yet and I would suggest that it would probably be appropriate for those on the executive to consider whether any action should be taken and these actions shouldn't be based upon whether somebody's a good laugh, whether somebody's your friend, whether somebody's somebody that you've had a good game against. It should be based on the accusations and the level of evidence that is available to you. People quite literally in this country and around the world go to prison on the basis of being judged by a panel of their peers based on the testimony of people that were there and what they witnessed. We have access to the internet. It would not be hard to look into this and perhaps a panel of five or six of the executive or people that are from trusted positions and do not have direct personal connections to those involved to assess the information available to them and decide whether any action should be taken. I've heard some people refer to sort of like, did this happen, did this not happen, as just wild speculation. But I'm sorry, if you've got 20 people who literally... Don't gain anything out of it saying one thing and then you've got two people who do have something to gain from it saying another thing. I think you need to take that really seriously and weigh up, as we have done in this conversation, on the basis of probability, what is likely to have happened. And the final counter argument I think is likely to be brought against this uh, that I have heard in the past is... It's just toy soldiers. Don't take it so seriously. Which I think when you weigh things up based on their merits is a reductive argument. You can apply that argument to anything. It's just a job. It's just a friend. It's just a day out. It's just a football match. It's just a video game. It's just toy soldiers. If you apply that argument, nothing other than the love of those important to you, And your health is important. And yeah, is this as important as those that you love and your health? No. In the context of that, whether you should sit at home depressed because you've lost a match, yeah, it is just toy soldiers. But the things that entertain us, the things that we spend our time on outside of our friends and family, the things we spend our time on willingly with what little time we do get on this earth and some people will attend GBHL events just because they want to see people and they want to play games that's why GBHL 80 events exist and some people like myself last year will go to Ardcon with a a hope of winning just wanting to attend the event but Great British Hobbit League League a group of sports clubs which play each other over a period for a championship Ardecon, home of the World Championships, World Doubles Championships, World Team Championships and SBG International Masters. Championship, a contest for the position of champion in a sport or game. The point I'm making is that these are not wishy-washy definitions. There are people that take part in these events. There are people that invest a great deal of money and, most importantly, time To participate in these competitions. And these competitions have been built up to mean something. And I'm not going to be winning either of these competitions anytime soon. And probably never. But there are people that are trying their best. Who are playing honestly. Who are abiding by the spirit and the letter of the rules. And they deserve to have them upheld. And they deserve that when they do well, when they podium, when they win an event, when they are a contender for the GBHL Championship, for it not to be called into question whether it was legitimate or whether it means something. People like myself, who's probably just considered a journeyman player, when we do well, it means something because it feels like we have actually achieved something. We have done well against our peers In a fair contest. If it doesn't have that feeling, if it doesn't have that mutual respect between the players and the league or the competition, why on earth are we going to be getting up at 6, 7 a.m. to go and play in these competitions when we can just go play our mates down the road and it means just as much? And you may have noticed that I have, as we've progressed through this, stopped talking about the individuals involved. I've stopped talking about the specific championship that's involved. And it's because they don't matter. What matters is what happens next and how people react to poor behavior or rule breaking. And I'm sure we have all seen instances of it and we have all just shrugged it off and gone home and not said anything about it because it's easier and it's easier to move on and in a large amount of examples in life that's probably the right decision but the thing is is that we love this community we love the GBHL we love events like Ardicon and we're going to keep going back to them and so are the people who are lowering the bar on standards of sportsmanship fair play and behaviour And should these people be harassed? Should these people be called names? Should these people be bothered? No, none of that. We don't lower ourselves in terms of our own behaviour to that level. But what we can do is sing the praises of TOs that rigorously enforce the rules and are not afraid to step in when somebody goes across the line. What we can do is encourage those tournament organisers to do better who are struggling to have a firm footing on poor behaviour. What we can do is encourage our friends to only attend events of tournament organisers who are not afraid to enforce the rules without bias or hesitation. What we can do is take up the opportunity that the GBHL procedures encourage us to do anyway when there is an instance of poor behaviour, cheating or anything along those lines that's not been dealt appropriately by the TO, is bother to write that email to the GBHL informing them of the events and why you were dissatisfied. We've all done it, I've done it, not written that email, not followed it up because it's easier just to move on. I have absolutely no doubt that most if not all of the executive of the GBHL want the exact same thing we're talking about here. So let's help them out. Let's make the great in Great British Hobbit League more than a name. When we see these poor behaviours, let's highlight them. These people are doing this in their spare time and we can't expect them to do everything, be everything and be everywhere. I imagine it is a lot easier for them to deal with a situation when they've got six different occurrences from six different people reporting the same poor behaviour from one individual. So that's all I'm saying. This isn't a witch hunt. Let's use the mechanisms that are available to us that seem perfectly fair to me and let's see what happens. Vote with your footfall in terms of the tournaments you attend. Call the TO over when you think someone is bending or breaking the rules. Highlight poor behaviour to your TOs and report instances that you believe haven't been dealt with appropriately to the league executive. And I hope it goes without saying, from you having listened to my tournament reports, and that you all out there know as well, from the tournaments you've attended, that the vast, vast majority of people play this game with an exemplary level of goodwill, sportsmanship and kindness to their fellow man. And that's why some of these big tournaments and the league itself have grown so rapidly in prestige and begun to mean so much to so many people. So all I'm suggesting is that we protect this really lovely thing that we all get to enjoy. I hope you've all enjoyed this chat. I've certainly enjoyed having it with you. I know it's a bit of a change of pace from the usual programming uh, but it was just something I wanted to talk about and there's been a few instances of, of things I've seen things that have happened and uh, to, to both myself and players that I regularly play with that just haven't seen seemed on and uh, this seemed uh, a very good public example of some poor sportsmanship that was an interesting story in of itself and also, more importantly, didn't seem like it was dealt with appropriately. As always, if you do want to get involved in the conversation, if you have some thoughts you want to share with me and you want them read out on the podcast, feel free to email me at Mercia at gmail.com. That's Mercia at gmail.com. But anyway, that's all I have for you in this episode. It has been a pleasure Until next time, I hope you find plenty of time for your hobby, get to roll plenty of dice with friends, and I look forward to the opportunity to play opposite you sometime soon.